0: Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. This is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. A little bit faster turnaround than what we normally have, but I had a uh, a special guest. I wanted to make sure, and since the information was very timely, I wanted to push this uh, podcast out earlier than I would normally do. Uh, Dustin Kretzinger, So that name may be familiar to a lot of you. He was uh, a contributor at Caffeinated Thoughts uh, years ago. He while he was in medical school at the university of iowa he has now gone on to uh, do several residencies and, and fellowships and and is currently assistant uh, professor of medicine at the university of nebraska as well as a, a pulmonary care specialist physician um at with nebraska medicine um and he and i uh spoke today about uh 19. Uh, he has some uh, unique training um as well as, uh, uh, well, just insight into that and and also provide some great advice. Uh, So before we get to that conversation, first, a word from our sponsors, American Principles Project.
1: At American Principles Project, we believe that human dignity should be at the heart of public policy. We work in all 50 states and in Washington, D.C. to promote life, religious freedom, local control over education, authentic economic progress for working Americans, and a return to constitutional principles such as federalism. Want to help American Principles Project? Visit our website today, AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. That's AmericanPrinciples, P-L-E-S, Project.org. Sign up for email updates. Help us out. We want to work with you. That's
0: AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Dustin Kretzinger. Okay, well, hey, Dustin, welcome to the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. Thank you. Uh, very uh, happy to be on the show. So uh, it, our, a lot of our listeners, or at least some of our listeners, may you know recognize your name as a former contributor of Caffeinated Thoughts, but you've gone on to uh, do a, a lot of, uh, a lot's changed in the years you've written for Caffeinated Thoughts. You're now a medical doctor and... Uh, you got a lot of training on your belt. Can you talk a little about about what you've done since? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, um, I uh, I've been in the medical field for about
1: twenty years now. Uh, started as an EMT and then was an ICU nurse, and I was contributing to caffeinated thoughts during t- my time in medical school at the University of Iowa. Um, since then, I've uh, finished a uh, internal medicine residency and chief residency training at the University of Iowa. I then went on to uh, the Philadelphia area and did a fellowship in pulmonary and critical care medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. So that's specialized training to take care of patients with lung problems and patients in the ICU. And while there, I also um, did another master's degree in the area of clinical epidemiology.
0: So, what interested? Um, Just what interested you in doing the master's degree in epidemiology? Sure, yeah.
1: So, uh, I'm very interested in doing uh, clinical medical research. Uh, There's kind of two areas of medical research. One is uh, basic science in the lab, uh, and the other one is clinical research. So, um, research of actual patients uh, who are having a disease and, and the impact that disease has on them and and um, factors that make that disease worse or make them susceptible to that disease or things we can do to um, help cure disease. So that's really uh, what my focus is on. Uh, so my s- specific area of research is doing clinical trials in the intensive care unit.
0: Okay. So, um... I just I I had Jan here to talk about COVID-19 and and I just don't want to assume anybody uh understands what a coronavirus is um and it has nothing to do with the beer people just saying uh but <laughs> <laughs> so people are like if I drink corona will it make me safe um no what 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 is uh what is a coronavirus Sure yeah um so a coronavirus is a
1: um, virus that typically infects the respiratory system or our breathing system. It's actually, um, there's about, this is the seventh coronavirus strain that we know of that infects humans. Uh, there's four common and less severe coronaviruses. They actually make up around 10 to 30% of um, the typical uh, colds that we encounter are from one of the four common coronaviruses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's been, uh, this is the, now the third um, more serious coronavirus. The first two uh, being, um, one being SARS, which had an outbreak in 2002, mm-hmm. which started in China and spread to other places in the, in the, uh, in the world, but especially in the Toronto area. Um, and then the other severe coronavirus is known as MERS, which is mostly in the middle east
0: okay um coronavirus is also uh, one of the distinctions is it can be transferred from animal to human, correct At least right that was yeah my understanding so, okay
1: yep, yep, so the reservoir seems to be mostly in bats, mm-hmm. and so it seems to to live in bats and not cause trouble. Uh, in bats, although uh, I don't know what a sick bat will look like, or we don't really (laughs) do that, but it doesn't seem to to bother the bats too much. But then the bats spread it to other animals, and there's usually what's called an intermediate host where the bat infects some other mammal. In SARS, it was found to be a civet cat, which is a, a large or a medium-sized cat in Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, in MERS, it was found to be camels that the bats were infecting, and then the camels would spread the virus to humans. Uh, for this current coronavirus, we also believe that it started in bats and spread to something that's something we haven't identified yet Okay. before, so, before coming to humans.
0: Right. So um, I, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, people kind of, you know downplay on on social media cuz you know we 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 got tons of experts on social media uh they're downplaying this oh it's no worse than the flu there's more people that died from the flu oh it you know look at mers look at sars they, it, more people died from those uh w- what makes this particular uh a virus uh you know why does this one have more people worried sure and I'll start by saying it's
1: completely understandable to initially be skeptical and feel like this is being blown out of proportion. Um, the, uh, although the cases are growing, if you take the number of cases or the number of deaths and you say, well, let's see what proportion of the population is being affected by this illness, the proportion is extremely small right now. We're not feeling it in our day-to-day lives. And then we also had some leadership uh, up until recently who was very reassuring and saying this is not a big deal. So the, the fact that many people in the general public feel like this is overblown and not a big deal is not surprising, and it's very understandable. I understand it. Why it's a concern to those of us in the medical field who have been um, – tracking this disease is really the exponential growth that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's spreading extremely rapidly, and it's doubling the number of cases uh, roughly every six days or so. So if you extrapolate that out, uh, that's millions of cases in about a month. Um, so it's, it's growing at a speed where it could That it will be a very big issue. Um, And that issue becomes um, when those patients who get sick, and not everyone gets sick enough to need the hospital, and we can talk more about that, but that proportion that does reach the hospital and needs hospital care, when we start talking about the numbers of cases that the current models are projecting, the concern is that it will overrun the healthcare system, and we just frankly won't have enough hospital beds and ventilators and people to take care of patients, uh, that are needed.
0: Okay. And this tends to, doesn't it have a higher rate of hospitalization than some of the previous, uh, coronaviruses as well say the flu?
1: Yeah. So, um, the flu, it, it does have a, a bit of a higher, um, rate of needing to be in the hospital and needing to be on the ventilator than the flu. Um, it actually isn't uh, look, luckily it's not as deadly as SARS and MERS were, uh, mm-hmm. but those uh, affected much fewer patients uh, that those didn't spread nearly as fast. Those that caught it were a lot more likely to die than than those who are going to catch the current coronavirus Uh, but the current coronavirus is spreading much more rapidly and broadly.
0: Okay. And it tends to impact the, well, who, who does it impact the most? I guess. What are you sure? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, it tends to have uh, folks who are over 60 tend to have a higher fatality rate. Those who have underlying medical conditions, such as a cancer or a heart failure or diabetes tend to have higher mortality rates. Um, I do. And so those of us who are younger tend to have more of cold or flu like illnesses that tend not to be too bad. That being said, we have seen very severe cases and even death in patients who are younger without any other health problems. So it can occur, it, uh, death and severe hospital, uh, severe cases requiring hospitalization can occur in the younger population, but um, the older population tends to have worse outcomes.
0: Okay, I, I saw, I don't know where this guy got his statistic from, so you could correct this if it's wrong uh you could correct anything i say if i'm wrong but sure. yeah, yeah, but yeah he said like 29% of the hospitalizations are people between the ages of 20 and 44 and these are the people that are like oh it's not going to affect me i'm just going to go off and ignore public health advice yeah i, I don't have those
1: exact numbers uh okay. available or in front of me but that sounds plausible okay um
0: yeah yeah, it's not a huge number, obviously twenty nine percent, but still, I mean, it's comparatively to other age brackets. But, um, I want to ask about just just some of the public health advice we're getting, and and then of course now we it's become an order, um, uh, with an emergency declaration here in Iowa. But before they were saying, hey, you know, avoid re, avoid crowds, avoid um, stay home if you're sick, um, which that just as common sense but uh, you know this is we want to limit the spread so there and a lot of people are thinking this is just an overreaction is it an overreaction i don't
1: think that it is okay um i'm I'm not too excited about um uh governments ordering shutdowns of private businesses that's something that that i uh, uh am not a fan of and would like to avoid at all costs um, that being said, I think I think our government officials were a little bit slow in taking this seriously, and they went from um, reassurance and it's okay, just stay home if you're sick, just do your regular thing, and then they realized how serious it was, made recommendations to avoid um, large public gatherings and restaurants and stuff like that and realized that it was maybe too late to um count on the public to do the right thing on such a short notice after such a prolonged time of reassurance and i think they realized if they were going to realistically um have an impact on the spread that they would have to take these
0: drastic measures
1: Hmm. that's kind of how i interpret uh
0: what's happened over the last month or two yeah nine uh, uh, yeah uh, obviously there are people who have all sorts of conspiracy theories i mean i i'm not concerned i think it's a bad precedent i'm not concerned it's going to be anything permanent um even though i think we've seen some cases at the local level of people going way above and beyond what needs like you know, why are you banning alcohol sales and stuff like that? It's like that has nothing yeah. to do, you know, uh, nothing to do with this disease. But um, so it, it, anyway, you always have those status that want to state. Um, yeah. But I, I guess a question I have, and I know some of my listeners have, is we, we saw a restriction on groups the size of 200. You know, they, they had a 250, and then suddenly it went down to 50, and now it's down to 10. What what's up with that? Yeah, I think that is
1: just a reflection of um, us running models of projections of how widespread the illness will be and the impact it would have on our healthcare system, and realizing that uh, we really need to take it seriously and really crank down on the amount of um, social interactions. Um, that occur because that is the, uh, a chance for the virus to spread. And so I think um, it's not that we don't know exactly the number that is safe for exactly, but it's it's uh, realizing that this is much more serious than we initially thought and really cranking down on the numbers to to reflect that.
0: Okay. Um, also, uh, I I saw some people share this uh, mag uh, Reason magazine article about South Korea. I think they're starting to see a decline now in the number of cases, and they said South Korea was able to keep more of an open society um, by, I think they were quarantining uh, the sick rather than, you know, restricting uh, people's social interactions. Yeah. Why, do you th- why do you think they were seeing success doing that, and and were Going the opposite route,
1: yeah. So, I think a lot of it comes down to their ability to do widespread testing. So they're able to test cases uh, that they have, even you know, low to moderate suspicion that they have COVID, mm-hmm. and so they're able to to identify earlier and with more certainty cases, and then handle those cases through strict quarantine of positive patients and even like one circle around them, their contacts. And they've been very aggressive about tracing contacts and having quarantine and isolation of individuals who are either positive or have very high risk exposures. Now, to implement that kind of system requires the ability to test on a much more wide scale. Mm -hmm. And um, we just don't have that ability to test here in the States. Um, And at this point it's, we're starting to be able to ramp up and do some more testing, or there's at least the promise of more testing um, shortly down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but I think it will be
0: too late to be able to contain it in that way uh, here. Why, why do you think we're behind the curve on testing compared to South Korea? Yeah. So I, I don't know the specifics
1: of what South Korea did. Um, but I do know some of the limitations we had here. Um, initially we were relying only on, uh, the CDC's test. In fact, uh, Initially, testing had to be um, obtained from wherever you are in the country. If there was a a potential case in Des Moines, we would take a swab uh, in Des Moines, take a sample in Des Moines, and take it down to Atlanta somehow, and then run the test down there, and then we hear about the results. So there was very much a long lag period, and we had the inability to do local testing, Yeah, and this is... Uh, was a decision, I'm not sure exactly where it was made, but uh, I think it was a poor decision to rely simply on on the CDC testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we realized that we needed to improve our, and, and then the CDC testing, there were actually some flaws recognized in the testing itself that put us behind as well. Okay. Um, but when it was recognized that we needed to do more widespread testing, around i believe three weeks ago or so they opened it up to let academic medical centers develop their own tests in their labs uh, which takes time to do but Mm -hmm. but we were able to expand a bit there and then it's only been about a week or so that the fda has allowed private companies to start to develop their tests and and the fda did it seems rapidly evaluate and approve these private uh, companies' tests, but that was only a week ago and, and at that point the cat's kind of out of the bag it was right um, to too too little too late okay. uh, to
0: be able to
1: uh, to contain it in the way that South Korea was able to contain it through testing right
0: uh, well in uh, in Iowa we have thirty eight cases. Uh, of i think gosh uh well last time yeah. i saw it was just like maybe 225 tests done uh so who who are they limiting testing you know obviously they're not testing yeah. everybody they can't who who are they focused on mainly
1: yeah so it's mainly patients who are one sick enough to be in the hospital and two test negative for influenza and a and an An additional panel of more common, less severe respiratory infections, and if both of those come back as negative and you still look like you have symptoms consistent with COVID and you're sick enough to be in the hospital, then we do the test at that point. Um, We are finding um, um, that that is inadequate testing for a variety of reasons Um, one is that there is some co-infections going on in other words for a few places that have tested patients for covid who also tested positive for another virus they're seeing that about 20 percent of the covid patients test positive for another virus as well. So okay. our, our, our screening process that you have to, to go through before you get tested, um, we're finding that it's less than ideal. It's probably missing a significant number of cases. Um, not to mention the fact that we're not testing people who have symptoms but yet aren't sick enough to be in the hospital. There's That's a whole Another very large group of individuals who um, were not able to test that uh, are probably positive.
0: Okay, um, just also wanted to see you, you. You're at the University of Nebraska, uh, and, and mm-hmm. you saw some of the initial cases of COVID-19 in the United States. You know, what are you seeing come through your hospital?
1: Yeah, so uh, I I will clarify that um, that at Nebraska we've. Um, Been able to um, use two different, very special uh, units for our initial cases. And uh, I was not personally on service during the time on those units. And so I have not personally taken care of a a patient with COVID yet. Um, But our healthcare system uh, has, and they were actually, because of these special units that they've developed, um, were. The kind of the landing places for some of the very initial cases of patients coming either home from China or patients coming from the the Diamond Princess cruise uh, came here initially. And so uh, the Nebraska Medical Center had some of the uh, very first cases. Um, We're finding that um, consistent with a lot of the other reports that about 80% 80% of patients who are positive have um, mild symptoms and don't require hospitalization. Uh, there's about 10 to 20% of those who test positive who require hospitalization and maybe about 5% who require ICU level of care and 1 to 5% that require uh, a breathing machine to to keep them alive uh, because their respiratory system has failed.
0: Okay, okay. Um, so, well, you you mentioned it earlier. Concern about the healthcare system uh, being overwhelmed. You know, I I've seen people say uh, they say, well, I doubt that. I mean, are our system so much larger than what we see in Italy, uh, you know, that like it can't happen here, mm-hmm. but you disagree. It can happen here. Yeah. So it absolutely can happen here.
1: And it's, um, several factors uh, play into that, um, that assessment. Um, one is um, the, the speed at which the uh, virus is spreading. Um, so today There are 9,400 cases in the U.S. The average doubling time has been about six days. And so if you go forward with that, in a month, we'll have 100,000 cases. In two months, we'll have nearly 2 million cases. And in three months, we would have about 50 million cases. So over the next several months, we will uh, likely have uh, a very high number of patients who need hospital care mm-hmm. and especially ICU care and ventilator needs.
0: And generally help, um,
1: th- those who yeah, are hosp- – yeah,
0: I guess a question – I know a question I've seen come up, like it's like, well, they're not going to be in the hospital forever. You know, how, how long does it take generally for your average patient to – obviously patients are different. Those sure. who are in ICU are obviously in longer than those who are not – but on mm-hmm. average, how, how long is a typical stay, do you think?
1: Yeah, for, for this particular illness, it's been about
0: two to three weeks. Wow, okay. So
1: pre, pretty extended hospital courses.
0: Yeah, which that obviously, yeah. if it were just like days, I don't think we'd be talking about a system being overwhelmed. Um, right. So so say I, I think I've got COVID-19, what, what do I do? Yeah,
1: so um, because of the limitation – of testing, um, we would only test you at this point if uh, you required hospitalization. So um, if you're feeling ill um, and the most common symptoms are cough and fever, if you get to the point where you're having breathing difficulties at all, uh, you definitely need to be evaluated. That evaluation most likely should take place in an emergency room, uh, the vast majority of, um, primary care clinics or, you know, your regular doctor that you see for, um, you know, your general health, Mm -hmm. uh, most of those do not have the ability to test right now. And most of those would really like you to not be visiting the clinic if you have these (laughs) kind of symptoms. So I wonder uh, why, (laughs) yeah. Exactly. So I so if you're having symptoms that are relatively mild, I would encourage you to call your doctor and let them know and they'll give you some guidance uh, beyond what the very general guidance I'm giving on the phone or on on the podcast here. Um, Call your doctor, let him, him or her know what's going on and they'll give you some guidance. If you're having shortness of breath, call the emergency room and then go to the emergency room and there they will evaluate you to see uh, if you need to be in the hospital or uh, if they have testing available um, to test you.
0: Okay, so, um, and and the kind of, the treatment so far has just been supportive, right? There's no antiviral, there's no vaccine, anything like that. Yeah, so,
1: exactly. So, right now it's just supportive care, um, which is, oxygen and fluids and using uh, a breathing machine if if it gets to that point. Um, No specific therapies have been proven effective for this yet. There are trials underway testing different antiviral therapies. Um, We likely won't have the results of those for quite a while, um, months or even years, unfortunately, the trial system uh, is takes a, a very long time okay. there. And so without a proven therapy, uh, physicians are left with two options. They can say, well, I don't have anything that I know works. So, And I know that in the past, when we try things that we think might work, sometimes it causes more harm than good when we finally do the test to determine if it's a good therapy or not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so with that in mind, I'm just going to do supportive care and wait for more information in the future as far as if there's any additional therapies. Okay. Um, so that's that's one choice. The other choice is physicians may say, well, based on some laboratory studies and maybe some initial reports, drug X seems to be promising, mm-hmm. and I have a patient in front of me who's very sick. So as a last-ditch effort, I'm going to give drug X to see if I can turn them around. Um, and so that's one of the difficult choices that physicians are, are needing to make in this I setting.
0: I see some, uh, somebody mentioned on Facebook, that's always a great source, um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, uh, some people are trying out malaria drugs on, on COVID-19 and seeing some yeah, success. Yeah. Have you heard anything about that?
1: Sure, yeah. So Um, so malaria is a virus, um, Mm -hmm. HIV is a virus, um, influenza is a virus. So all these viruses, um, each one has, um, some things that make them unique and each one has some things that, that kind of are common to viruses. So, um, there's a lot of thoughts that drugs that have some, um, that work in, Some viruses might work in others, and so there's lots of testing, including some anti-malaria medication, some anti-HIV medications uh, that are being tested. Um, I think it's still too early to know for sure, but there are some promising signals from some of the early studies of some of the anti-malaria and anti-HIV medications. That's good.
0: Um, yeah. so if, if, if I have to just stay home, I just treat this like I have a cold, you know, Yeah, kinda...
1: I would, I, yeah, I, I would treat it like you have a cold and do all the, the usual things that you do when you have a cold. Um, the one thing I would say in addition to that is be very mindful of the, um, the context that you have when you have a cold, right. You know, oftentimes we think, Oh, this is just a cold. I'm not too worried about giving it to other people because it's just a cold. It's not a big deal. Well, this, this certainly can be a very big deal to, uh, to a lot of folks and especially older folks and, and folks with any kind of other medical problems. So I would be uh, very mindful of that. If you live with, with an older individual or an individual, with other medical problems, um, I would maybe try to to figure out how you can either be in your own uh, area of the, of the house or maybe in a different location altogether mm-hmm. to, to try to protect those that are that are
0: especially vulnerable and it's primarily transferred how uh... yeah
1: so primarily through
0: droplet or um, when we
1: sneeze and cough we send invisible little particles of Junk everywhere and uh, inhaling that is one route. Another route is uh, you know, we talk about coughing into our hand, which is great as long as you wash then immediately hands. wash your hand, right. uh, which we, we know that we're not very good about doing. So, if which you is... cough, I... cough in your hand, which is what we're saying to do, and then you open the door, well, the virus can live on that door handle for potentially a couple days. And so if the next susceptible person comes through the door, opens the door, it's now on their hands. And if they have a little itch on their eye, they, they itch there. And it can enter through not only through breathing it in, but any uh, what we call mucosal surfaces. Uh, surfaces. So any, any of the, the wet stuff. So your mouth, inside your nose, the, the inside of your eye or your eyelid any of those surfaces, the virus can enter through. And so that's the primary way that it's spread.
0: Okay. Um, oh gosh, I had a question that I lost it. (laughs) That happens often. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, I I, I will say,
1: uh, one thing that I did want to, to mention, um, when, when we were talking about, you know, the potential for the healthcare system to be overrun, um, there's uh, some recent news coming out of Italy, northern Italy, that is um, currently uh, one of the hardest hit areas. Um, they're generally thought to be about two weeks ahead of where we are as far as uh, the number of cases. So okay. this is, you know, a possibility several weeks down the road. But their healthcare system is being overrun at the moment, and to the point where they don't have enough. Uh, ventilators and ICU beds, and they're in a position of making very difficult decisions when two patients are at the door and there's one ventilator and and needing Mm. to decide who has the best chance of making it out. Um, You know, uh, age is not the only factor in that assessment, but it is part of that assessment often. Mm. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are spinning those difficult decisions as uh, evidence of socialized medicine or not taking care of the elderly or even worse. Yeah. Uh, but in all honesty,
0: you know, this is it, it's triage. This is
1: not socialized medicine. It's it's battlefield triage. Yeah, is what it is. That's I mean, that's um, what I,
0: I was a medic in the army. And that's what there are certain cases they you know, they taught us like you just can't treat here. And right, you yeah. have to go on to somebody that you can actually treat like, you know, in the middle of a battle, if you had a heart attack, well, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't do stop yep. and do CPR when I'm being shot at. Um, yeah. You know, so obviously completely different in hospital, but some of the same principles apply if you can't. Yeah. So it's it's exactly. not it's not it's not euthanasia. It's not anything like that. It's it's just triage. And it's unfortunate. Yep.
1: Yeah, and I I'm, I'm hopeful that it doesn't ever come to that point. Here, we've never been in a situation uh, like that where we've really had to make those kind of decisions here in the U.S. healthcare setting. Um, but uh, that's what the concern is, and that's that's why this this idea of flattening the curve that way uh, the cases trickle in instead of flood in and then really overwhelm the medical system.
0: I remember what I was going to ask you. Um, yeah. This has been shown to be also, you can spread it if you're asymptomatic, correct?
1: Correct. Okay. Um, it's, it's less likely to be spread if you're asymptomatic because you're um, not coughing and sneezing and spreading as much virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've done some careful tracing of some cases, especially in Germany, uh, where they um, determined that patients who were not showing any symptoms were actually able to spread, so it's it's you're less infect in uh, you're you're less likely to infect others if you are asymptomatic and positive, uh, but it is possible.
0: Okay, uh, so just again, everybody, you know, keep social distancing. Let's keep it up. So, uh, I know it's a pain. <laughs> but it's important. <laughs> hey, Dustin, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is very informative and I, I'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well. So thank you so much, sir. Absolutely. Anytime. Have a, have a good
1: day and, and uh, everyone keeps safe.
0: All right. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Bye.
0: And that concludes today's episode of the caffeinated thoughts podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you are listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com or just Google caffeinated thoughts and it'll show up at the top of your screen. Also, be sure to check out uh, our Facebook page. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, sign up for our emails. That way you don't miss a single update. You can also listen to us using uh, your favorite podcast app whether that's apple podcasts or Podbean or stitcher or spotify um we're also on google play and i think that's it so if there's somebody we're missing you know drop me a line at shane at caffeinatedthoughts.com and i will certainly look at seeing if we can get our our uh, podcast up on that with that app or that service as well until next time my friends uh stay safe stay healthy. Wash your hands. Cough in your sleeve. Keep social distancing. Uh, We can can push down the curve. Um, Let's beat this thing, folks. Until next time, take care, everybody.